here in Teen Challenge London, which basically means that I head up all the outreach and evangelism projects for Teen Challenge London. But that wasn't always the case. You know, for over a decade, I was injecting heroin and crack, you know. I'll share a bit more about my story later. But as Pastor just shared, I'm, I'm actually originally from where, which is just down the road. And as I said, I'm no stranger to Harlow, so I spent quite a lot of years over here for the wrong reasons. Actually, I remember, you know, my heart is actually racing. It's not just the coffee that I had this morning, you know. It is because this is very special to me to be back here. Because just outside this church, on this road, I used to score. <clears throat> At that pub over the road, down the side of that, I used to score. Down the Bearcroft estate and Moorlands, down there. In fact, I used to run the gang boys up to London and back. They could get their drugs. You know, so for me, this is very special to be back here. And I thank you for, for welcoming, us, welcoming us here this morning. And I pray that Jesus is going to bless you this morning. Hallelujah. But Teen Challenge London actually started in 1995, just as a bus ministry going out onto the streets of London and feeding those that are homeless. In 1999, we received the Residential Rehab Centre in Ilford. And as we go through this presentation, you're just going to see how the Lord has really blessed this ministry and how we've grown. You know, it's, it's, it's been such a, an amazing part of my, of my journey too. And in fact, even more so, tomorrow, 23rd of January, it would have been six years since I walked into the doors of Teen Challenge. Amen. Hallelujah. But yeah, I'm excited this morning. You know, Teen Challenge, we actually have six centres throughout the UK. We have a women's centre in Wales. So we cater for both men and for women. You know, who's heard, who's heard of Teen Challenge? A number of you. Some of you, most, there's a number here. But Teen Challenge itself was started by a man called Pastor David Wilkerson. And the story itself was made famous by the book and the film, The Cross and the Switchblade. And it starts of just David Wilkerson was one day having a time of prayer in his study room. And he really felt a leading just to pick up this magazine which was next to him. This, uh, this copy of Time magazine. And as he's flicking through the pages, he comes across this picture. And this picture is of five young gang boys who are on trial for murder. They're actually on trial for murdering another young boy. But something about this picture just really captured David Wilkerson. You know, it... It was a look in these young boys' eyes. He felt so stirred that he had to try and speak to these young men. He left his, his home in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania and travelled all the way to New York just to try and speak to these young boys. So he's got to the courtroom where these young boys are on trial for murder. And he's gone in and he's tried speaking to them. And of course he's got thrown out. You know, these young boys, they're on trial for murder. You know, so he's got thrown out of the courtroom. And as he's walking out of the court, there's all these journalists standing outside. And they called out to him, they said, Pastor, are you ashamed of what you believe? And he said, no, of course not. He said, well, hold your Bible up where everyone can see it. And he did just that. He held his Bible up and they all took a photo of him. So he's now walked out of this courtroom thinking he's brought shame upon himself. Shame upon his family. You know, he's just been thrown out of court. But little did he know that this was going to be the, the gateway that he needed to speak to those that he needed to speak to. You know, because he, he started walking around the streets of New York. And at this time, they, the streets were just riddled with, with serious uh, teenage gang crime, uh, quite extreme violence and serious drug problems. And this is the streets that he was walking around in. And what the, the gang boys would see him, and they would call out to him, and they would say, look, that's the pastor that got thrown out of court. The police don't like him either. You know, and it's just, this just opened up a conversation. But what can only be described as a, as a series of miracles started happening? Because David Wilkerson started preaching the love of Jesus on street corners. This guy on street corners just begin preaching the love of Jesus. 
And in one particular crowd was a young gang leader by the name of Nicky Cruz. He was the leader of the most notorious and violent gang at the time, the Mau Maus. And Nicky Cruz himself was built up, brought up in a, a home full of hate. You know, he was seriously abused, violently abused. Brought up in a home full of a cult. He'd never known love in his life. Always hate. So he couldn't stand this message which David Wilkerson was preaching. And he called out to him again. He said, preacher, if you don't stop preaching, I'm going to cut you into a thousand pieces. David Wilkerson turned back to him and said, if you cut me into a thousand pieces, every piece will turn back to you and tell you that Jesus loves you. He didn't know how to handle a response like that. You know, he'd been brought up in this home full of hate. Never experienced love in his life. And for the next couple of weeks, these words were just stirring around within him. Because a couple of weeks later, David Wilkerson put on an event, an event where he hired a hall and he invited all the rival gangs into one hall. It's pretty crazy, isn't it, right? Oh, all these brave men, yeah. All these rival gang members in one hall together, but that's what he did. And again, he began preaching the love of Jesus. And at the end, he, he gave a call for people to respond to that message, of which I'll be doing at the end of this too. And as he gave that message for people to respond to the message of Jesus Christ, Nicky Cruz went forward and he accepted Jesus as his saviour. And not only that, because Nicky Cruz went forward, his whole gang followed him. And they gave their lives to Jesus too. Hallelujah. They laid down their weapons and they picked up their Bibles. But this is where David Wilkerson really recognised that it was great and fantastic that these young men had come to know Jesus, you know, and they found this new life. But what needed to take place now was that process of discipleship. And it was especially important for these young men in which the, the lifestyle that they had led. And they needed to be taken out of their surroundings and put in a place of safety and refuge. And this is where the first teen challenge was birthed in 1958 in Brooklyn, New York. As I speak to you today, teen challenge is in 125 countries and we have 1,400 centers globally. And I just want you to think on that for a moment. Of all the men and women that have gone through the Teen Challenge program and had their lives touched by Jesus and had their lives changed and transformed. And now the outward work and effect of that still to their family members that have been touched by Jesus and had their lives changed and transformed. And now, the outward work in effect of that still to those in their communities which have been touched by the love of Jesus and had their lives changed and transformed. Try and think of that number if you can. But that number is innumerable. Through one man's obedience, how many lives have been touched by the love of Jesus and their lives have been changed and transformed? Praise God. But as I say, Teen Challenge, the word challenge is not in there for no reason. It is a challenge. It really is. You know, it's a course over 17 months. So if you hear us mentioning things such as the program, we're referring to the 18-month 18 18-month 18 course, if you, if you don't get hold back. That, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> If you don't get a hold back, then it's an 18-month course, the program. If you hear us mention in the centre, we're referring to the residential home in which the men stay in. And over this period in which the men stay in this home, they receive 14 different biblical teachings, such as love and accepting myself, growing through failure, temptations and attitudes. These are all key biblical teachings for any Christian, but especially those coming from addicted backgrounds. 
you know, love and accepting myself. To know that you are loved and accepted by God. That is life transforming. Because the root cause of most addictions is rejection. Growing through failure. Knowing that when you make a mistake, it's not a failure. You grow through it. You learn by it. This is the grace of God. And I think temptations and attitudes, they really speak for themselves. But as the men are going through as well, it's a very structured routine program. Because people coming from that sort of lifestyle, addictive backgrounds or criminal backgrounds, they do what they want, when they want, how they want. And no one's going to tell them any different. And then we're actually there to say, actually, you can't live life like that. So the only way we can describe Teen Challenge really is a cross between a monastery and a military boot camp. Yeah, the guys get woken up at 7.15 in the morning. And the first thing they have to do is they have to clean their rooms. Yeah, they have to hoover their carpet. They have to clean their showers. They have to make their beds without a crease. And then one of the staff members will come round and they'll run their finger along the skirting board just to check for dust. Am I speaking to anyone in there? <laughs> but what this does, as I say, it just instills that routine and structure in their lives. You know, because we all need this. And the thing is, me speaking from experience, when, when I was in addiction and I rented a, a, a room, you couldn't see the floor because of the amount of needles that are on the floor. And now I'm one of the ones that are going around checking the skirting boards for dust. Hey, this is, this is Jesus. This is what Jesus does. Praise God. And in fact, now I asked Alan just to come up and share what Jesus has done in his life too. So if we could give him a bit of encouragement as he comes up. Yeah. Hello. Hello, church. Nice to be here today. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about me and uh, what the Lord's done in my life, what he's doing in my life. Um, so a bit of background. So I come from Wales. Um, I come from a family of four. I'm the eldest of four. I've got two younger brothers and a sister. Um, family life was quite volatile. Uh, I had a violent stepfather. He was an alcoholic. He was quite abusive towards me and, um, and my mum. Um, got to about the age of eight, and he, my mum divorced him, so that brought a bit of peace into the home life. Um, but just going through school um, and things like that, I, I did okay. Um, got to about the age of 16, left school, got a job, um, possible driving test. Um, but when I got to about 18, my mum always told me who my dad was. So, and it was just something that I thought I'd, something I wanted to do, and I just felt like maybe this is something that's missing in my life. Because at 18, I was still very quiet. I didn't know what I wanted. Um, anyway, I met my dad when I was 18, or this guy, because you know he had everything that, that I could ever imagine that I wanted. He had the car, house, family, money. So, but from that moment, when I look back now, he rejected me from that moment. But all I wanted to do was to please him. And I thought, well, how how do I, you know, how do I be successful like you? So, but I didn't want to ask him for anything. I didn't want anything from him. I thought, well, I've lived my life to this point now, so I don't. I never asked for anything before. I'm not going to ask anything now. So I want to do it myself. So anyway, um, I moved to London um, a couple of years later. I met someone. Uh, it was my first wife. Um, I got into sales, and in a very short period of time, I became very, very successful. I had a very good job. Um, I had a good house, car, everything I wanted, and then I had a family. I had two daughters. Um, but that was never enough because I just wanted more. I was not there was no peace. So I was always striving and striving and striving. But with that, um, I started destroying things that were around me, the things that were important. So like my family. So within a short period of time, I pretty much lost everything. So I lost my wife, I lost my kids, lost my house, lost my jobs. Um, so I went through a bit of a, a bit of a period where a reflection, thinking like, what is it that I want? What is missing in my life? Um, so anyway, I met, I met someone else, who is now my wife. Um, everything was all great at first, but then over time, I was sort of reverting back to my own ways, just to partying, doing what I wanted to do. Um, and she started going to church, and I was, I started getting jealous, thinking, why is she going to church? And then she started coming back and she was always really happy. 
And I thought, well, I'm your man. You should be happy with me. But I wasn't. I was actually making a life of misery. So I thought, well, to win her back, if I start behaving myself, so then I started going to church, but it was just to appease her back. And anyway, over a short period of time, I did. She came back into my life. Um, and then I did exactly the same thing again. So um, anyway, so I had a friend um, who started going to this other church, someone unlikely I thought would actually go to church. He said to me, he said, why do you come to this church? And I was like, Steve, this, this is not for me. I don't, I, don't, I don't do church. And he said, just try it. Just try it. So I said, okay. So I went along, and the, the pastor came up to me. And um, he was just really nice to me. He never judged me. He never, you know, he was just, I don't know. It was really, it was, it was really, really a weird experience because I always looked at churches, you know, just, I don't know, um, just boring, just, just, yeah, just wasn't for me. So anyway, cut long story short. Um, I met this pastor, um, and then I, I started then going to church quite regularly, and then I started winning back my, my, my wife, my wife. And so over a period of time, things were going great, um, and then after a while, my pastor died. Um, and that sort of had a bit of an impact on my life. It's like, why, why are people I get close to sort of let me down? That's what I felt like. So it's this rejection again. So anyway, he died, so I started going back, started drinking, um, doing all the wrong things, and um, so... By that time, I was I was sofa surfing. I'd lost my driving license again. I'd lost my job, and my wife this time just said, "I don't want nothing to do with you unless you sort your life out. I don't want anything to do with you." And I said, "You know, I know I can do this." She went, "No." So anyway, what I heard was I heard that Teen Challenge were um, at this church, and it was um, they, they were they were there one this day, and they were sharing testimonies. But I was meant to go on that day, but I decided not to. I decided to go and have a drink instead. That's what I decided to do. And anyway, after the after that happened, then I started hearing like these stories where these guys were in addiction. They started giving their life, they'd give their life to Jesus and what Jesus had done in their lives. So that made me think, think, what is this about? What is this about? So anyway, I got the, the contact name for the church, got the telephone number for Team Challenge, I rang Team Challenge, went for the interview, sat down in the interview and I thought, no, I'm not doing this. 17-month program. I was like, no, I can do this by myself. So anyway, so I told my wife, and she said, well, it's your choice. She said, Teen Challenge, or you stop drinking, because that's what it was. So I said, okay, let, let, me, let me prove to you I can stop drinking. So anyway, a month went by, I stopped drinking, started behaving myself again, and then after a while, I just straight back to work. So I thought, this, this ain't working, is it? So anyway, I thought, right. So I thought, Teen Challenge, I'm going to go and give Teen Challenge a ring. So I rang them up, rang Chris. Chris, who's the manager at the time. I said, Chris, I really want this. Um, when can I come in? And he said, oh, it's probably going to be about a month. So I thought, oh, that's great. So I rang, so I rang my, my wife and I said, oh, the Teen Challenge accepted me, but it's going to take about a month. So I was, even then, I was thinking, oh, I can just sort of bide my time to sort of win her back. Anyway, I got a phone call from Chris the next day and he said, I'll get you in next week. And I was like, what? So I was like, no, how is, how is this going to work? I was like, so in, anyway, so I was in my house thinking, how am I going to manipulate this situation? to my wife. So in the end, I thought, you know what, Alan, let's just stop, stop this. Stop lying to yourself. Stop lying and cheating and manipulating situations. Just do this, but do it for yourself. So anyway, so I rang her and I said, right, I said, um, I'm getting seen challenge next week. And she was like, good. So, but I said, I need you to take me. So she was like, fine. So anyway, so I packed all my stuff. She picked me up. And as we were driving there, I was really, really angry. I was like, I don't want to do this. She's like, I'm taking you there. I said, I don't want to do this, I've changed my mind. So we were having these massive arguments in the car. I said, right, I want another drink. She said, I'm not, I'm not getting you another drink. I said, I want to go and get some cigarettes. She said, I'm not getting you more cigarettes. So anyway, all the way there, got, got to the gates, and um, by then she'd had enough of me. So she, she threw me out of the car, threw my case on the floor, and literally, before I knew it, she drove over, drove over my case. So there was just everything everywhere. So I was like, oh, no. So anyway, so... Anyway, by the, by the time I was picking, picking my stuff up, there were two guys standing by the gates. And I was just about to say, no, I don't. And I as I turned around and looked back, she'd gone, left me. So all I had was this broken suitcase. All my stuff was everywhere. Two big guys were standing by the gate. And I thought, this is it. <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> I've, I've, I've done it. So anyway, so anyway, they take you into the room and they go through all your things and check everything. You haven't you know, brought anything in. So anyway, as I'm going through it, I said, um, what am I going to do about my case? I said, oh, I said uh, I'll just chuck it away. And they said, no, keep it. They said, keep that case. And they said, that'll remind you of what you were like when you first came in. So it was called the broken suitcase, because I was a broken man. 
when I went into them gates. So anyway, so I thought, okay, I'll keep it. So anyway, as I went for the program, as Michael said, it's a hard program. Um, you know, from doing everything you want to do on the outside, be told that you can't do things, but they don't do it in a way that's to punish you or, or it's to, they do it in love in a way. And that's the first time I think I actually felt love that someone actually did actually did care for me. And I think that was the first time I encountered the first, the love of Jesus. And I remember that night when I sat in my room, I got on my knees and I, I literally cried and I said, Lord, if you're real, I, I want you in my life. And I think from that moment, I just felt things started changing in me and I started giving more because I, I had a really bad anger problem. But I thought my anger only came when I started drinking, but it wasn't. It was this stuff that was deep-rooted. But as you go through the program and you go through the counseling process, and the more and more I was giving the Lord, the more and more he, I felt he was healing me. And anyway, I remember the first time um, when my wife came to visit me, and the first thing she said to me when she walked into the, the door, she said, she said, you look, you look like Jesus. In, in like, she said, I just feel that, that the warmth and the like. She just felt this, and that was, I was like, wow. Um, no one ever said that. So anyway, as, as the program went through, like I said, I graduated for the program. Like I say, it was, it was a hard program. Um, but since then, um, I'm still part of the ministry now because um, I was in sales. That was my background. So I worked for a business within the ministry. So God's put me back there. Um, and then we got married about two years ago. Um, we just got our we got our first just got our first house together. So this is all the stuff that God's that God's doing in my life. But just want to say something here. So like when things are going well in your life and you're thinking and that well the problem was me I just pressed this self destruction button. But when I started learning to love myself and accept myself and that God created me for a reason and and, and a purpose for my life, that's when the devil comes after you. Because six months ago, I would been to the gym, not the pub. I'd been to the gym. I was on my way home, and um, I was supposed to go and pick my wife up, and I wasn't feeling too good. So I said to my wife, I said, can I I'll pick you up in 10 minutes? She said, don't worry about it. I'll get the bus home. I said, no, no, I'll be all right. Anyway, from that moment, I got into my car, and I don't remember a thing from that car, uh, from, that, from that moment. And um, anyway, I crashed into a wall. I'd had a heart attack while I was in my car, but I don't remember having a heart attack. So I crashed into a wall, and then I had a cardiac arrest. So my heart stopped. And... There was a lady that came up the lane. Um, she took the wrong turn, but it wasn't. She took the right turn because that's what led it to me. And she's seen all this commotion around the, the car, and they, they, they were saying, "Oh, it's the driver, the driver." So she said, "Get him out of the car." So um, get him out. So they dragged me out of the car. So she started performing CPR, and then I think within about three minutes, she said the paramedics were there. So to get my heart started because my heart actually stopped. So I was actually dead for ten minutes. Um, and so I got airlifted to Patworth Hospital, and, and I was in an induced coma for three days. Um, but my wife stood at my bedside all that time, and even people were trying to say, like, oh, well, what? he's got brain damage, what if this? And like, she was just having none of it. Um, so I've actually got the nickname now, Lazarus, because uh, Lazarus, so... Because um, <laughs> I came around four days later. But just the, the, the irony of it all, and this is, this is what the, the nurse, I met her two weeks later just to say thank you for saving my life. And she said, it wasn't me. She said, it was God. I said, why is that? She goes, because I'm a Christian. She goes, I know he led me to you that day. And I was like, wow. And um, anyway, we're, we're going to be friends for life now anyway. But what she did actually say is that actually less than one in 10 actually make a roadside recovery from a heart attack. So I know a miracle happened that day. So we talk about miracles that happened 2,000 years ago. Well, they still happen today. And I just want to give God all the glory for everything he's done in my life. Thank you. Wow. Isn't it amazing what God can do in someone's life, eh? Dead for 10 minutes. And yet, there he is, speaking in front of you all today. Wow. But the Bible says that what does it gain a man if he... What would it profit a man if he... What did he gain a man if he sold his whole soul? I can't, I can't remember the scripture now. <laughs> That's it, loses his soul. Because the thing is, Alan was searching his whole life, trying, trying to sell himself. And he always came up short. You know, like he was trying to sell himself to earn his father's love. Yet got rejected. He's always trying to do the... The first thing, in, the best thing in the world, you know, to be the best. But where did it get him? 
And it was at that moment that that he recognised the Father's love for him when he met Jesus. Because he realised no matter how much he worked through his life, all that stuff would just fall to the side. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price when he laid down his life so that we may receive life. Hallelujah. So another part of, of Team Challenge London now. So we have the Reuse Centre, which is a furniture store. And we get donations to second-hand furniture, and then we sell it on. But what this also acts as is a delivery service for Jesus. You know, we're delivering Jesus to people's front doors. Now, because this, yes, it brings money into the ministry, but we're actually an influence in our community. You know, we have guys that come through the program going out on these vans, you know, and they're going into people's front living rooms and they're praying for people in their front living rooms. They're sharing the gospel with them in their front living rooms. They're, they're, they're sharing testimony as to what Jesus has done in their front living rooms, in Muslims' front living rooms, in Hindus' living rooms, Sikhs, people of no faith. They're going there and they're just sharing Jesus. When do, where do you get that opportunity? So that's the reuse centre. And also when the guys come back on the last part of their programme, the re-entry phase, they would actually work over there. So we instil a work ethic into them as well because some of these men have never worked before in their life. You know, Teen Challenge is just the, the stepping stone into their futures. And in that, we have uh, an arm called the Centre for Excellence. And what this does is, is men can get city, city, and then city and Guilds and MVQ accredited awards in maths, English, and IT. And when they're further on in the program, they can do things such as counselling and so many different things. We tailor it to, to suit the individual. We've had men go on to become paramedics, lawyers, solicitors, you know, I've had men go on to become pastors and Bible, you know, go to Bible school. You know, it's just tailored to the individual. In fact, there was a guy called Jahan, who's just, well, he's graduated a little while ago now. He recently left the reuse centre, he's working there for a time. And he's now gone on to become a bus driver, because he loves driving. All right, he came on the programme, he could not read or write. And he went through, these, he'd done all these courses when he's on t in Teen Challenge. And he's gone to, to this interview for this, this job to be a bus driver. And he's taken, all these, he's taken all these certificates with him. And in the interview, he's laid them out all on the table. And apparently the interviewer said, well, we've never had anyone bring all their, their certificates before. <laughs> but he was, just so, he was just so overjoyed that he had managed to complete something and managed to do something. He couldn't read or write before coming on the programme. And yet, there he is, showing this guy all his certificates for what he's done when he's been going through the course. Amazing. Another part of the Teen Challenge London ministry is Exit Foundation. And what these guys do is they work specifically with young people that are caught up in, in gang life or are very troubled. So what they do is they go into schools, they go into prisons, and they would mentor these young people out from that place. Over 16 weeks, they would mentor them out of that place and into a place of employment or education. Now, these, these guys, who's heard of the county lines problem, which we have at the moment? Yeah, where these gang members often stand at the gates of schools, waiting for children to come out, and then they groom them. And then they'd be made to sell drugs for them. So they would send them out from London to the neighbouring towns and cities and they're made to sell drugs for them. Exit Foundation are at the forefront of tackling this problem with their intervention and methodology uh, systems. And their, their work has actually been recognised by the London Mayor. So please, this is a frontline ministry. If you could add Exit Foundation to your prayer list, they'd be most grateful. They need it. They're their frontline ministry. And actually... Since the guys have moved up to, to Norwich, which I'll come on to in a minute, they've actually stepped into a, a new area where the centre in Ilford 
is now going to be used as a refuge for those young people that are in quite serious problems, quite serious situations. They can come and, and stay in a place that's safe. Now with that, is it right to share what Jesus has done in my life with you? Yeah? Yeah, so let's just get a bit of water. Yeah, so problems for me really started when I was about five or six. My parents got a divorce, and it was a very messy divorce. There was a lot of arguing on both sides. Um, yeah, the guy, the guy that I looked to as my leader and my example in life, he was now elsewhere. You know, and the, the issues really got worse and more violent when he met his new partner. So I was left with a sense of rejection. Uh, I felt quite desperate and despair, really. I felt lost. And not knowing how to deal with these feelings at such a young age, at the age of 10, was the first time that I tried to commit suicide. That was my first day in hospital after that. At the age of 13, I got into smoking cannabis. You know, at first I enjoyed it, but that enjoyment, it quickly left. The real reason I was taking it was to cover up what was going on inside. You know, I'd, and my drug use just grew because it was never enough. I took cocaine, ecstasy, speed, I got into it in a big way. I began to sell it and I, I sniffed so much that I lost my sense of smell. But thank God recently that sense of smell has begun to come back. Hallelujah. But yeah, as I say, the drugs were just a cover for what's going on inside. And when the drugs wasn't there, I'd always self-harm. I used to do this in, in, in various ways. I used to cut myself. I used to burn myself. I used to try and overdose. It was the only way I could feel that I could release what I was feeling inside. But you know what? It just made things worse. It never, never, satis never satisfied, never got rid of the issues that I, was, that I was facing. So at the age of 16 now, I'm, I'm out of control. And my mum can't handle me or my behaviour anymore. And she's asked me to leave home. Now me thinking I've known best at that age, I've left. I'm now sleeping in bin sheds. I'm sleeping in shop fronts. I'm staying where I can. Getting involved with people that I had no business getting involved with at that age. You know, it's at this time that I, that I started taking Valium. I had a massive Valium habit. I was taking at least 30 blue 10 mil Valium a day. More if I could get my hands on them, I couldn't speak. I just wanted to destroy myself. And it was at this time that I got into crime to, to fund my habit as well. I began shoplifting, uh, but burglary was really my main thing. You know, during the day I used to do houses. At night I used to do business and commercial premises. So you can imagine at this time I was, I was quite a busy boy. But it was all to fund a, a habit which I'd now picked up. I began smoking heroin. And to be honest, this, when I smoked that heroin, I thought I'd found the answer. It was like someone come up to me and put a warm blanket around me. You know, and in that place, I felt comforted and I felt protected. But you know what? It's such a lie. Because the only true comforter and protector you'll get in this life is Jesus Christ. But again, the heroin, smoking the heroin wasn't enough. I was always one that had to take things one step further. So I began injecting it. And then that wasn't enough. So I began mixing it with crack. It's called speedballing when you mix heroin and crack in the same needle and inject it. And this, I was doing that for over a decade. And through the years, I've been diagnosed with drug-induced schizophrenia, psychosis, paranoia, and anxiety. I've been sectioned for the amount of times that I tried to commit suicide. At the end of 2016, I'd run out of games to play and avenues to run down. And to be honest, I was drug dealing at this point, which I'd always done on and off through the years. I got in this car, sorted out what I needed to sort out, got out, sat in the car behind was a friend's mum. I can't even remember speaking to her, but she later told me that she went home and cried all night because of the state I was in. She... She rang my mum and gave her the number for Teen Challenge. Now, if I hadn't have had that 
if I hadn't have had that meeting, I had two or three months and I'd have been dead. That's the reality of where the addiction had taken me. The reason I'm smiling is because when I walked into Teen Challenge, I struggled. It wasn't necessarily the, the, the structure and the routine that I struggled with because I knew I needed that. It was Jesus that I struggled with. I thought, how could this geezer who lived 2,000 years ago do anything for me now? What's this all about? You know, and I've since come, to, since come to know that he can do quite a bit for you if you let him. But as I say, I just didn't want to hear about this Jesus. To me, the, all Christians were weirdos. They were these, these old people who wore socks and sandals and, <laughs> and stood on street corners shouting at people. <laughs> Funny, man, because I'm one of them now. <laughs> but this is my view of Christianity, you know, and I thought that people just fooled themselves. So I was running out of chapel, I was running out of classes, I didn't want to hear about this Jesus. You know, but it's, uh, oh man, someone's getting a call from the Lord right now. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Is it a word for everyone? <laughs> Praise the Lord. Yeah, but I was very, you know, I was very being close to being asked to leave because of the disruption I've been to the other men. You know, and one day I had all my bags packed and I was going to leave. And to be honest, when, when you pack your bags, they say, you've made your decision, you've now got to go. But for some reason, they let me have a phone call. And I've rang my dad and I've said, listen, I'm, I'm leaving. I can't handle this talk of Jesus anymore. You know, I'm going to come back out, I'm going to go to work and do, do whatever. And he said, Mike, there's nothing out here for you. you just got to embrace it. He wasn't a Christian. So I've gone back to my room and I... This is a period over two weeks now. I've sat there for a time. I won't use the language that I used, but I was sat there thinking, <clears throat> on one hand, I can go out to what I was doing before in death. On the other hand, I can try and take things at my own pace. That's what I decided to do. I picked up the Bible they give you when you come in, and the first book I read was the book of James. In the first line of it, it says, Consider it pure joy when faced with trials of all kinds. <coughs> What's this geezer talking about, man? How can you have joy when you're going through something that's painful? You know, but it made me smile. And down in verse 12, it says, Blessed are those who persevere under trial, because having withstood the test, that person will receive the crown of life to those who love him. I didn't love him at that point, but I certainly had a trial in front of me. You know, of overcoming my addictions and coming through this Teen Challenge program. And it was really then that my eyes were opened and I began to look at things differently. I received this love that I'd never known before, this acceptance. This peace which I'd never known before. And for someone that has suffered with a lot of mental health problems, this unexplainable. And this joy which has never left. In the 18 months that I was in Teen Challenge, Jesus healed me from, set me free from my addictions. He healed me of all the mental health problems I had. He healed me of hepatitis C, which I picked up through injecting. And he restored all relationships that I had with my family, of which I had none. You know, and it, I give God thanks because I never had a relationship with my dad. And then halfway through the program, we found out that he was battling cancer. He got cancer in his esophagus quite an aggressive form of cancer. Anyway, two months before, at that point, sorry, we sat down and I forgave him for the things of the past. And he forgave me for the things of the past. Because two months before the end of my program, he unfortunately passed away from cancer. But you know what? I didn't run to the local drug dealer. I didn't run to the, to the off-license to get a drink. I ran to Jesus and rested in his grace because his grace is sufficient for me in all of my needs. And today, church, that's what I say to you. Jesus' grace is sufficient for you in all of your needs too. There's nothing too great, nothing too small for him. His shoulders are broad. Hallelujah. And he is strong. Since completing the program, I stayed on as a support worker within Teen Challenge, later becoming the outreach coordinator. 
I've been to South Africa three times speaking in the prisons and townships. I've been to Ireland. I've been to Amsterdam. Just sharing the love of Jesus. Uh, I'm out on the streets of London and surrounding areas, sharing the love of Jesus. The guy who, who used to run from Jesus is now running two people to share Jesus with them. Hallelujah. I've got a completed Bible, Bible college, a course at Bible College at Regents Elam, you know, a ministry foundation certificate. You know, it's just, it's incredible what, what Jesus has done. But I give him all the thanks. And church, I want to say this today, that God is faithful. God is really faithful. And if you're praying for someone, don't give up on them prayers. God will answer them prayers. You know, eight weeks into the program, you get a first visit. Your family members can come and visit you. And on that occasion, as my granddad was leaving, as he was walking out the gate, he turned to me and he said, Mike, you know, I've been praying for you for a long time. And coming here today, I can honestly say that my prayers have been answered. So don't give up on them prayers, because God will answer. And the reason why I say that as well is because God has been faithful to the ministry of Teen Challenge. For, for, many, for a long time now, we've been praying for a new building because the area where we are is not the greatest for rehabilitation. And to be honest, the building has become a little bit too small. And we want more men to come and, and know the freedom which is found in Christ. So we've been praying. And we thank God that last year he answered that call. He answered that prayer. And we received a fantastic new building. The deeds just signed over to us. You know, two acres of land over in Norwich. You know, it's just incredible. It's got a church on site. You know, brand new gym facilities. It's incredible. 36 beds it holds. So the guys that are on the first part of the program would go up there. The residential part of the program, they would go up there. And then they would come back down to Ilford for the re-entry phase, phase four. So we've over doubled our bed capacity. Hallelujah. Amen. But to go alongside that, we've actually changed the way that we do outreach as well. We stopped the bus ministry, which has been going out on the streets of London for over 20 years. And the way we're, we're, we're doing it now is we will go into a specific area or location for a period of four to 12 weeks. And during that period, we will just go out daily, targeting specifically those that are, that are in addiction and those that are homeless. And we would just walk the streets sharing, sharing Jesus with them, first of all. And then over this period, what that does is it enables us to build a relationship with them so we can discern the level of help they need. If they need and want rehab, then we can take them into Teen Challenge. If they don't, then we can signpost them to the local church. <clears throat> we're always working in connection with the local church. You know, so that, that's one side of it. But also what we do is on a Saturdays we open it up and the local church can receive training on evangelism and drug addiction as well. You know, and it's incredible the testimony that, that has come out of this. One of my favorite testimonies that has come out of this is a, a young man, he's gone onto the program and his sister and brother-in-law was coming out with me on the streets on Saturdays. And that particular day, we was looking at how to share testimony effectively. And she's gone out onto the street. She's began just sharing testimony. She, she came up to me after and she said, Mike, I've never, been, I've never been able to do that before. I've never been able to speak like that before. Wow. Anyway, she's now in the worship team in her church. You know, God is just moving through families. You know, and it's, we go into the drop-in centers. We go into the local services. We go into them places where people don't want to go. Because we know that is where that that is where the treasure is. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. All right, so with that, I'd just like to take this opportunity to invite you into a couple of ways in which you can support the ministry of Teen Challenge London. The first way is through prayer. You know, we're a frontline ministry and we need the prayers of the saints. We need prayers of guidance. Prayers of protection, prayers of providence. You know what? We just need prayers, man. 
So if you can add us to your prayer list, we'd be most and eternally grateful. The second way in which you can support the ministry of Teen Challenge is financially. And today, if you signed up to a direct debit of £5 or more, what you'll receive is a, a copy of the Crossing the Switchblade, the story of how Teen Challenge started. It's a fantastic read you know, and a great uh, evangelistic book as well. It really opened my eyes to the things of God before I was a Christian. If you didn't want to sign up to a direct debit, you could give a, a one-off payment and if you could put that towards the new building project, which we have. The guys have just moved in there last December and they go towards the running costs, you know, the building of showers, instalments of certain things, the beds, the wardrobes, etc. You know, and <clears throat> if God is leading you in that way, then then please listen. Because the thing is, we can't, we can't do what we do without the support of guys like yourselves. And, yeah, just bless you. I ask that you please listen to that call. But, uh, yeah, is it right to just share a very short message out of the Word of God? Is that okay? Would I be able to get a bit of water? Is that okay? I'm going a bit croaky up here. <laughs> if we could turn to Psalm 31. Hallelujah. Have you been blessed this morning? Amen. Hallelujah. I'm, I'm, it's a privilege that I'm here. I still can't, you know. God is just so amazing. Honestly. Who'd have thought, well, them years ago when I was out on the streets there, that I'd be standing in this church, in here, speaking to you guys. Crazy, man. But you know this word, this Bible, we should be able to hold it up to ourselves and it'd be a mirror. And it should tell us about ourselves. But not only that, it tells us the problems that we have and the issues that we have and the things that we may go through. But also it gives us a solution and the answers to these problems as well. The Psalm 31. Thank you. And to be honest, this is, uh, this is really the psalm to the addict. Now I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe there may be someone with addiction problems in here. Maybe there's some that have come through a background of addiction. And if you have you know exactly what this psalm will be speaking about. But if you haven't had them, if you haven't been through something like that, then please just put your mindset in this place because this speaks specifically of what it's like living in addiction. Psalm 31 and verse 9. It says, Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow my soul and my body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction and my bones grow weak. Because of all my enemies, I am the utter contempt of my neighbours and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. As we say, in the, most, the most common reason for addiction is rejection. And this just describes really the life of an addict, but really we can put this to, to anyone. We can dress this up on, on anyone that's gone through battles in their lives. You know, anyone that suffered with mental health problems, they can, under, they can understand this. The fact of being rejected that people actually run away. You know, I remember, I remember walking down the street and people would literally walk over the other side of the road so they didn't have to speak to me. Maybe that we can feel that. Maybe we can feel like that. Maybe it's not happened to you just like that. But sometimes we can feel like that when we're alone. We can feel isolated. 
We can feel that people actually just don't want to speak with us. Especially in the time that we've just gone through. You know, people have been more isolated than ever before. I want you to know that there is a faithful God who sees you in that problem. I would never have dreamt that six years ago I'd be standing here right now. Through the faithfulness of God. Because the thing is, I was broken. Alan was broken. He shared of that suitcase in which he was, that suitcase was completely broken and that was a picture of him. Maybe that's a picture of you today. Maybe you haven't got the outward working effect of, of drug addiction or, or alcoholism because we can clearly see that, the effects of it. But maybe you've got a, a deep trauma within from your childhood maybe. Maybe a rejection of people. Maybe you've been rejected by a family member, a friend, someone that you look to and they passed you by. Listen, man, that can stay with you. That can cause hurt. And it can make us grow weak with sorrow. Sometimes we may not even know the burden that we carry. You know? That burden, it just weighs us down, and in fact, we don't even know where it, where it comes from. But God sees you. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. May God have mercy upon you today in this place. You ain't here for, you know, you're here because of a divine appointment. You're here because you was meant to hear these words being spoken today. You're here because God has a plan for you. You're here because Jesus loves you and that he died for you upon that cross. He died so that there may be in a great exchange happen. That this brokenness that the psalmist described as if broken pottery. You may feel smashed on the floor and broken, but God can bring healing. He can, man, he can build you up to become the most beautiful vase. And you know what? Them cracks and them imperfections, that's what makes you beautiful. That's what God works through. You know, God doesn't want to change your personality. He wants to change your character. So you become more Christ-like. But he loves you for who you are. Don't be pressed down by someone else's vision of you. I had labels put on me such as schizophrenic, psychotic, paranoid, anxious. But they were just labels. They were lies which people spoke over me. Because I am a child of God. I am loved. I am forgiven. I am set free. And to be honest, I could go on and on and on in the things that I am in Christ. But the thing is, we know that in the addict, and maybe our, our lives, my soul with sorrow, my soul and my body with grief. We can often feel it physically, tensing up. We can often feel these problems emotionally, but the root cause of it all, when we break it down, it's a spiritual problem. Because at the base root of everything is sin. And sin just means this, that you've missed the mark. You've missed God's standard. And we can break that down. But Jesus Christ. I love that phrase, but God. But Jesus. Because there's nothing... Too small or too great for that he can't overcome. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And this is the thing Jesus Christ died. He was in that grave for three days. And on that third day, he rose again. He rose from the dead to life. He was resurrected. And as you can see on these pictures, as you can stand, stand here before, you can see my picture on there, you can see Alan's picture on there. We were dead. The picture of the grave, we was dead. 
and through trust and faith in what Jesus done on the cross, that he was resurrected to life, we have been brought back to life. Not just physically, but spiritually. That we may have eternal life. That you may have eternal life today. When we think of eternal, we think of time. Let me tell you something. Eternal is so much more than that. It's fullness. It's completeness. And this is what we find in Christ. When we come to him, we recognize that we need to trust in him. When we trust in him, he will pull us through. Be strong and take heart all you who hope in the Lord. I'll just ask uh, if we could just close our eyes for a minute. I'll just say this to, to make you feel comfortable, but there's an opportunity for you to, to respond to this message which you've heard today, to, to receive a transformation in your heart. And in a moment, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand But I want you to know that it's not the raising of your hand which changes. It's the changing of your heart. Because Jesus wants your heart. And he wants to bring healing. And he wants to bring hope into your heart today. He wants to bring new life into your heart today. So if you'd like to receive Jesus, this Jesus that we've been speaking of, the one that can bring life, and hope. If you'd like to receive him in your heart today, I would ask you just to raise your hand right now. If that's you today, God bless you, I see you. You just raise your hand for me so I can see you. Thank you, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. I'm going to say... A short prayer, and if, if, if you could just, everyone could just follow with me. And this is just you communicating with God. You could just follow this with me. Father, I thank you for the gift of your Son. Jesus, I thank you that you see me. I recognize my sin. And I choose to turn from it now. Come into my heart. Bring me healing and the hope which is found in you. I declare I am resurrected from death to life in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And if that's you who've just said that for the first time, I would ask that you come and speak to me or a member of the church leadership after, just so they can speak with you a bit more and just share a bit more about, about what you've just, about, about, about really you coming into the family of, of God. Hallelujah. And I just want to sh- share a quick prayer over all of you quickly. Is that all right? Father, I thank you for each person in this room this morning, Lord. I pray, Lord, your blessing upon them. Lord, I pray that if any are here that are suffering with anxious thoughts, I pray that you would bring that peace that surpasses all understanding into their hearts right now. I pray, Lord, for those that are feeling rejected or have felt rejected in their past. Lord, that you would just reveal to their hearts and their minds the the love and acceptance which, which you have. Lord, I pray for those that are feeling hopeless, that may be facing a situation which they cannot see a way through. Lord, I pray that you would just speak into that situation right now and that you would bring hope. Lord, that you would reveal to everyone's mind just a a fresh purpose and a meaning. Lord, may you overwhelm every individual in this place with the love and warmth of your Holy Spirit. And I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. And guys, I'd just like to say, if, if, if something we've said this morning has resonated with you and you'd like to speak with someone, if 
maybe you're suffering in a, a place of addiction or have a friend or family member who is, please don't leave without speaking to us or part of the church leadership. Um, yeah, thank you so much for, for having us. Uh, I've been blessed, you know, and I pray that we've been a blessing to you too. Guys, thank you so much for having us. In Jesus' name, bless you guys.